Well, this uh, this third uh, talk which we're doing tonight, this uh, this third topic in the series of five things God can't do. Tonight we're thinking about the idea uh, that God cannot be surprised. Uh, such is God's knowledge, uh, and the sort of the theological term is His omniscience, that He, he knows all things, uh, that nothing catches him off guard, nothing confuses him, uh, there's nothing he's waiting to learn. And we're going to see that's actually good news. Uh, so let me read. Um, I want to read from uh, a couple of passages. Uh, I want to read the first few verses from Psalm 139 and a few verses from Romans uh, 11 uh, 2. Uh, and I should also say uh, that you'll find in the, uh, the description of the talk uh, just underneath on the YouTube channel, uh, a handout there. It's uh, got some brief notes and a handout to go along with this talk. Um, if that's helpful to you and, and helps you to kind of follow along what we're doing. So uh, the first uh, few verses of Psalm 139 say this. Uh, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And some verses from uh, Romans chapter 11 where Paul has been thinking about God's plan and purpose and uh, at the end he, he says these words oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor who has ever given to God that God should repay them, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I thought we could start uh, this evening with a uh, bit of a quiz. Um, uh, so you, you might want to play along at home. Uh, just, just five quick questions uh, to see how you get on. And uh, the first is this. Um, in this series, can you remember the topics from the first two weeks, the last two weeks that we've done. Do you know the answer to that? That's question one. Uh, question two, uh, from last week, can you remember uh, the body part uh, on Ray, which, which he gouged uh, when in a, a, a filthy mood one day? Question two. Uh, question three, uh, can you name uh, the three, and a bonus point, Point, if you can name a fourth, uh, the sort of the, the omnis. When we talk about the doctrine of God, what are what are those things? The omni something. Uh, there's normally three of them, but but also sometimes we talk about a fourth. If you if you know that one. Uh, fourth question: uh, Can you remember any of the books uh, that John or Ray recommended uh, to go along with this series in their talks? And uh, the fifth question just to see how well uh, you're listening so far on a Sunday evening, is uh, what is tonight's topic again? Okay, how did you get on? So, question one, 
topics from the last two weeks. Well, week one, uh, we said God cannot, things God cannot do. Number one, God cannot die. God is eternal. Uh, he is life. He gives life. Uh, he never loses it. Uh, he cannot die. Uh, and last week, Ray talked to us about things God cannot do. Number two, uh, he cannot change because God possesses all of his life to a maximal degree. Uh, there's nothing which could change or alter him except that which would be lost. That's question one. Question two, do you remember what, what, what uh, Ray gouged a lump out of when he was in a bad mood, slammed his car door? Uh, that's right, he took a lump out of his nose. Uh, question three, uh, can you remember uh, the omnis? So here's, here's the three classic ones. Uh, we talk about omnipotence, that means God is all powerful. Uh, omnipresence, God is present everywhere. And omniscience, that's the one we're thinking about tonight really. Um, God's knowledge, he knows all things. Uh, there's sometimes a fourth, which is omnibenevolence. That means God is all good. Uh, he is good, uh, and therefore the standard of goodness too. Question four, uh, do you remember any of the books recommended? Well, uh, John and Ray both recommended um, some pretty big heavyweight theological books, uh, one by Herman Bavinck and one by John Frame. Um, email me if you want more details um, on those. Uh, maybe if you're struggling to sleep at night, you could buy one of those and try reading it. Um, <clears throat> the other book recommended, and I'd recommend this again, John mentioned this one, is the book by Jen Wilkin, None Like Him, Not Too Fat, um, really nice, accessible, um, really well written, um, great application. This is a really great explanation of some of the things that we are talking about um, in this series. So I recommend Jen Wilkin and um, None Like Him. And the fifth question, uh, tonight's topic is that God cannot be, third thing, he cannot be surprised. Uh, you were listening. Uh, I don't know how you did. Um, if you did well, it's kind of nice, isn't it? Like, like it's nice to, to, to know things. It's nice to, to do quizzes and come top of the class. It's, it's, there's something about knowledge which we, we like. Some people have said uh, knowledge is power, but then other people have said ignorance is bliss. Maybe kind of being understood is best. But I guess all of us have that sense of um, we like knowing things, sometimes we don't like not knowing things, but where do you find knowledge anyway? Uh, on, that, on kind of life's menu of all of the options of where you might find truth, where would you even begin to think about that? Uh, and really what we're thinking about tonight as we think about God's knowledge, the fact he, he cannot be surprised by anything, we think about this idea that because of God's omniscience, because he knows all things, he is actually the best place for us to go when we want to think about truth. And also when we want to think about our absence of knowledge and how that actually might not be a bad thing for us. So I want to give us, what I'm going to do is just, just explain omniscience, define it for us. Think about some objections that come up to the idea. And then I want to give you um, kind of challenges and comforts from this, uh, this idea. So let's think about uh, omniscience defined. Um, 
God possesses, this is what it means, it means that God possesses eternal, perfect, total and immediate knowledge of himself and all things in creation, both actual and possible. There's nothing he, he doesn't know. There's nothing he's uh, kind of understands partially. There's nothing he's mistaken about or waiting to learn. He knows the exact number of stars in the galaxy and the exact number of hairs on your head. He knows every species uh, discovered and as yet undiscovered. He knows uh, how long this talk will be and what you're thinking now. And now. He knows what you'll have for breakfast in 264 days from now. He knows how your parents met and fell in love. He knows all that's in your grand's chicken pie and all that's in the mathematical number pi. He knows the numbers of days in your life. He knows all about your hopes, your dreams, your fears and your anxieties. He knows about the feelings beneath your feelings. He knows all that has been, is, will be and could have been. See, God wouldn't need any lifelines on who wants to be a millionaire. He, he wouldn't need 50-50. He wouldn't need phone a friend. He definitely wouldn't need Jeremy Clarkson. No chaser could ever catch God. You could give him any specialist subject on mastermind and he'd get a perfect score. And he would wipe that smug look off Jeremy Paxman's face if he went on university challenge. And God knows how long is a piece of string. See, God knows everything. And the Bible is clear about this. Here's some verses on this. We had Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows what we're going to say before we know what we want to say. 1 Samuel 16, 7. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God doesn't just know um, sort of what, what can be seen. He, he knows what's underneath. He knows the things that can't be seen. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. There's nothing. There is nothing he doesn't know or understand. Jesus tells us, doesn't he, Luke chapter 12, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows even, even the little things, the things that may seem insignificant to us are known and seen by God. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, uh, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything is laid bare. Everything is uncovered before him. He sees all things and he knows them perfectly. And it's important as we, we talk about this idea of, of, of God's being and who God is. And John mentioned this in, in week one. Um, we don't think of God as being like a supersized version of us. 
God is not a, a great big man. He's not a sort of a, a Marvel superhero, sort of scaled up with superpowers. God is different to us. Uh, he is uh, eternal. He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Uh, it's not like you could take a human and scale them up enough, and that's sort of what God is like. No, no, God is, in this sense, transcendent and other from us. Um, he doesn't, and here's the interesting thing, it's not that he just knows more than us, he knows differently than us. His way of knowledge is different. Uh, he, his knowledge is not partial like ours is. It isn't acquired like ours is. It isn't tainted by sin like ours is. All of these doctrines sort of overlap. Uh, the idea of God's um, omniscience is linked to his eternality, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. Because he is eternal, and remember it, it, um, eternity is not time stretched out really long, uh, it, it's a different mode of existence. Because he's eternal, because he's outside of time and space, he can, he can get to any point in time and space, hence he's, he's omnipresent. He's, he's perfectly present at every point in space and time. Uh, because he, he's omnipotent, he shapes and orders the course of each and every human event. And of course, because he's outside of time and space and, and he sees all these things, he, is, he, he has perfect knowledge of all of these things that, that are happening. He knows you infinitely better than you know yourself. And uh, with all that intimate knowledge of you, here's the payoff which we're going to kind of come back to. Uh, he loves you. He loves us. He, he knows everything about you. And he loves you. And the Bible's clear about that. But what about? What about those verses which seem to suggest that maybe God doesn't know everything? How do we understand those? For example, uh, when, when Adam and Eve take from the, uh, the, the fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hide. And it tells us in Genesis 3 that God was walking through the garden. He says, where are you? It implies that God doesn't know something. Or in Genesis 18, uh, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, where it says, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. It seems like there's, there's something God has heard about, but he doesn't know, so he has to go and see. I think when we look at those verses, I don't think there's so much telling us about um, the being of God, and, and they're not verses about whether God is omniscient or not. I think they're verses about uh, God's uh, relational and revelatory purposes. Uh, those verses reveal, actually they reveal to us that, that nothing is really hidden from God's sight. They reveal a, a relationship that God has uh, with his world where he cares about us and he knows about us and he has concern for us and um, where uh, people uh, sin like, like Adam and Eve do, there are consequences to that. See, those verses are not so much a denial of omniscience as a way of, of revealing a God in relationship with people and, and, and human language is a way of conveying that. Uh, but of course theologians have always recognised that uh, there are limits to the ways in which human language fully captures God. We say the Bible speaks truly but not exhaustively of all that God is. Uh, here's John Calvin uh, where he says this, um, 
for who, even of slight intelligence, does not understand that, as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus, such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. To do this, he must descend far beneath his loftiness. Kavanagh is saying that the, the, the transcendent, infinite, eternal God in relationship to us has to speak in terms we can understand. Um, uh, and to do that, uh, you get this language of sort of relationship uh, and, and, and change and learning. Um, Calvin wants to say that those things don't, don't so much express the, the being of God in himself, but the being of God in relationship to human beings. Um, I think that's the best way of understanding how these verses fit together. It says God's knowledge has no limit, Psalm 147, but also that God has to go and see things. Um, well, what about Jesus? There are times, aren't there, with Jesus when uh, he seems to not know things. We know from, from the whole of the Bible's witness that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. But uh, when he walked the earth, uh, there are occasions when he was asked things and he says, for example, about at the day of judgment, he says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So it seems like Jesus doesn't know stuff. Uh, now, some people have suggested that uh, when Jesus took on flesh, he, he emptied himself of some of his divine attributes. Um, I actually don't, don't think that's uh, the right answer. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's possible, actually, uh, for, for him to be fully God and to surrender divine attributes. God is his attributes, and God cannot surrender any of his attributes and still be fully God. Um, and so I think... And again, this has been the historical position of the church down through the last 2,000 years. You say, no, no, Jesus, Jesus surrendered nothing, um, which is quite mind-blowing. I think actually the, the Son of God, according to his divine nature, still retained somehow things like omnipresence and omniscience. The church fathers always said, remember in the, the person of the Son, there are two natures, the human nature and the divine nature. And when Jesus speaks of uh, things like his ignorance or his limitations, his tiredness or his hunger, he's speaking according to his human nature. And in some ways, these verses, again, when they speak about uh, perhaps not knowing something, the day of judgment, Jesus is saying this, this is not for humans to know. Even the angels do not know. Uh, it isn't so much that uh, the second person of the Trinity does not have access to that kind of knowledge. It's that Jesus, according to his human nature, and in uh, communication, uh, relationship and revelation to uh, human beings, says there are some things that are not for human beings to know. Well, what about finally as an objection, what about the idea of free will? Um, if God knows, actually more than that, if God ordains my choices, in what sense are they free? How is it that I'm not just a, a robot? If God knows what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow, do I really get to choose what I have for breakfast tomorrow? Um, if that is so determined, to what, what degree do I have free will or free choice um, at all? Sometimes people try and get out of that by saying, well, well, it's not so much that God makes you do it, but God knows what you'll do. Um, 
again, I don't think that really works um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is um, because God is omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient, uh, it isn't just that he knows, he, he ordains. In fact, the Bible tells us he sustains our every breath. Uh, we, we wouldn't even be able to choose breakfast if God were not sustaining us. It's more than he knows. And actually, even if that were the case, that wouldn't really help. Um, if God perfectly knows it's going to happen, it's still going to happen. And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that helps me feel like my choice is any more free. This is one of those areas where um, we embrace something called paradox. Paradox is the idea that um, there are two seemingly contradictory truths that somehow are both the case at the same time. Two things that look like they can't fit together, somehow they are both true. I think the Bible encourages us to, to kind of sit in that, that place. There's actually a humility of knowledge that goes with this. That says the Bible teaches that God is entirely sovereign over each and every uh, occurrence, each and every movement of an atom in all of time and space. God is totally sovereign and the Bible tells us and teaches us that, that we do make real, responsible, uh, human decisions for which uh, we will give an account one day. Now how that fits together, I think as humans, we have to say, we don't know. We don't know quite how those two things work. But I think when we're thinking about something like omniscience, it seems to me much better to limit knowledge at my end rather than God's. Uh, I know about as much of God's ways as an ant knows about astrophysics. It is more biblical to confess human ignorance than to posit God's ignorance. But our sinful natures will always resist this. We will always want to, to have more sense of being like God. And so we actually won't like the idea that in one of these areas like we're talking about now, we just won't know. Uh, and actually it's, it's not ours to know. Um, and, and that requires uh, humility and worship before an almighty and holy God uh, who, whose ways are higher than our ways. Well, why does all of this matter? Um, why does some of this kind of theological deep dive, what's the, what's the payoff? Um, and what I want to do, I want to give you uh, some applications to this. Um, and, uh, and I want to go through these fairly quick, but I, I just sat down and I thought, well, what are all the ways in which this challenges me or comforts me? And essentially I've got seven of each. Now, I know that sounds a bit overwhelming, but there are notes to go with this. I won't dwell on these for very long. Um, I want to give you seven challenges and seven comforts of this idea of omniscience, the idea that God cannot be surprised. And I'll start with the challenges. Seven challenges. Number one, um, beware of pride in knowledge. Uh, the Bible tells us, doesn't it? Knowledge puffs up. Um, one of the things you learn, the more you learn, the more you study something, the more you realise you don't know stuff. And that's a good thing. And actually, as we think about God and, and all that God knows, um, it is good for us to be humbled in the face of that. Uh, knowledge can be used as power. Knowledge can be used in a way to make ourselves feel superior to others. But truth be told, we know very little at all, really, in the grand scheme of things. And I think we need to beware of the pride that can sometimes come with great learning or great knowledge. Before the omniscient gods, we are challenged to be humble. 
about what we do and don't know. Related to that challenge number two, we need to be aware of judging others, don't we? Man looks on the outward appearance, but only God sees the heart. It seems to me it's a, it's a dangerous task to judge others in the absence of perfect knowledge. And as humans, we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't know all of the motives behind people's actions. We like to think we do, but we don't. And so I think we need to exercise a huge amount of charity uh, towards one another when we think about what other people do and, and why they do it. The truth is we don't know. So we need to be very aware of, um, of judging others. Third challenge is that there are no secret sins. Holiness is a, a serious business. Uh, there's nothing you do that God doesn't know about. Other people might not know about some patterns in your life. Uh, but God knows that uh, he is perfectly present to every point in space and time and his knowledge is total and immediate and perfect. He, he knows. There's nothing you can hide from him. You can't pretend he doesn't see. So this is a spur to take our holiness seriously because there are no secret sins before uh, the all-seeing God. Challenge four, um, privacy might be overrated. There's a lot of talk about privacy, isn't there, at the moment? Um, whether, whether Alexa is listening to you, uh, whether Google is keeping all your data. Um, there's a right sense in which privacy is important to us. And there are good reasons why uh, we might want to uh, keep some of our information from being shared with other human beings. But in another sense, we don't really have any privacy at all, do we? Before uh, the all-knowing God, uh, there's nothing he doesn't know about you and there's nothing you can keep from him. Sometimes that desire for privacy uh, sort of goes beyond reasonable bounds. Maybe even in the level of the extent to which we're vulnerable with others. If, we, if we're very private people, we, we hold knowledge. It's, it's part of this knowledge is power thing. It's, it's, it's one side of this coin. We, we hold knowledge to ourselves and we don't want to disclose it to others. Um, we think it, it protects us to hold it in and to not actually share. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid of what they will do with that knowledge. And so we, we hold knowledge uh, almost as a, as a tool which gives us control over situations. And uh, maybe if you, maybe some of us swing too far that way. Uh, and actually maybe we need to be a little bit more vulnerable and not try and hide so much from uh, one another. We can't hide it from God. Sometimes it's helpful to, to disclose with one another too. The flip side of that coin, the other side of that sort of knowledge is power thing, is uh, some of you may have this kind of this need to be in the know. Some of us may think that uh, we need to know every detail of every situation, that we need to know what's going on in people's lives, we want them to confide in us, we want that knowledge. <clears throat> Maybe we, we, we like it, we like being in someone's confidence because knowing something that other people don't somehow makes us feel important. Um, and that's not always healthy too, you know? There's plenty of things we don't know. There's plenty of conversations you're not in. Uh, there's, that, there's the line in the musical Hamilton, isn't there? I need to be in the room where it happened. Um, I, I don't, I really don't. God knows, he's all powerful, he's all good, he's all knowing. There's plenty of stuff that actually I have no right to know. I don't need to know. And actually my motive for wanting to know it actually perhaps isn't that great anyway. Challenge six, 
Um, you can't mock God. Sometimes I've heard people say things like, um, yeah, I want to live my life now, and when I'm a bit older, or maybe when I'm really old, then I'll, then I'll kind of get right with God. Let me just say, God, God knows. God knows your heart. He knows all about that conversation in your head. Um, you can't mock him. Uh, because of who he is, uh, you need to turn to him right now. Um, and you need to come to him in repentance and ask his forgiveness for that way of thinking as if, as if you could control him or as if you could put him in your debt at some point in the future. Um, he can't be mocked. Challenge seven, um, where else will you go to find truth? The disciples once said to Jesus, didn't they? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, life, uh, the media all around us, uh, will give you a menu of truth options. And it's a massive menu with about a million different choices. But where are you going to find truth? Where are you going to find truth about who you really are and what you exist for and where you've come from and what will happen to you when you die and, and what's wrong with our world and how does it get fixed? Where are you going to find the answers to those questions? See, if it's true that God is the source of all knowledge and if he is all-knowing and he's all-good, then not only is he the best place, he's really the only place to seek truth. That's the seven challenges. Uh, let me give you now um, seven comforts um, from, this, from this idea, from this theology. Comfort one, he knows everything about you and he still loves you. He knows the worst thing you've ever done that you've maybe never told anybody else. He knows about the, regret, the regrets of your past. He knows about the fears of the future. He knows and he loves you. The Bible is clear. God loves his children. Knowing, knowing the deepest and darkest bits of you, he still loves you. See, sometimes our friends or our family, uh, they love us or they like us, but if you think, if they knew everything, I'm not sure they would. But God does know everything and he still does. Comfort two, he knows all about your circumstances and the reasons he has for them. Some of us go through different stages of life, don't we? And I guess you may sometimes wonder, why, why is my life like it is now? Why am I in this situation struggling with these things? Like, surely God knows, and he does. But it's more than he just knows the detail of the circumstance. He knows his purpose in it. And he knows his plan for you and all creation. That doesn't make it any easier to go through in the moment, uh, or no less painful, but it means that, remember, God is all good. So, yeah, he knows, and he's all good. He knows your situation, but he also knows the reasons why, even though we may not. Comfort three, uh, here's, here's a lovely quote from Thomas uh, Watson, an old thinker. Um, if your heart and your conviction feel weak this evening, if you feel a bit spiritually flat, if you feel like you're not making you know, great progress in faith or anything like that, you feel like you're struggling with doubts. Listen to Thomas Watson for, for 30 seconds. He says this, the infiniteness of God's knowledge is a comfort in the case of Christians who have not a clear knowledge of themselves. They find so much corruption that they judge that they must have no grace. 
Why am I thus? If I have grace, why is my heart so dead? I remember God is of infinite knowledge. He can spy grace where you cannot. He can see grace hidden under corruption as the stars may be hidden behind a cloud. God can see that holiness in you, which you cannot discern in yourself. He can spy the flower of grace in you, though overtopped with weeds. Isn't that a lovely idea? God can spy the flower of grace in you when you can only see the weeds. Uh, he knows, he can see the deepest desires of you, uh, the, the, the deep you that wants to live for him in spite of and in the midst of all the struggles. Comfort four, um, what about if your prayer life feels a bit flat and a bit rubbish and you think, I'm not good at praying, I don't pray enough, I don't have the words, I don't know what to say. Um, it feels like a real struggle to pray. Uh, well, God's knowledge is good here too. Listen to the, the old preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Perhaps you cannot say a word when you pray. Never mind, God does not want to hear. He can tell what you mean even by seeing you. There, says the Lord, is a child of mine in prayer. He says not a word, but do you see that tear rolling down his cheek? Do you hear that sigh? Almighty God, thou canst see both tear and sigh. Thou canst read desire when desire hath not clothed itself in words. The naked wish God can interpret. He needs us not to light the candle of our desires with language. He can see the candle before it's lit. So if you feel like your prayer life's a bit flat, it's okay. God knows what you need before you ask him and he can see that heart desire again that, that desires to come to him as father. Comfort five, God understands us. God understands us when others misunderstand us. I don't know if you've ever been slandered or misrepresented. Maybe a, a situation where uh, people haven't understood you and they've thought the wrong thing about you and, and maybe even said it. Maybe it's been quite a public and difficult thing or maybe just a private thing. It's easy to feel angry about that, isn't it? And sometimes there's a righteous anger about perhaps a, a lack of justice. But how do we deal with it in the absence of an obvious justice? Well, remembering that God knows all things is a comfort to us. Not everything will be or has to be laid bare in this life. But the judge of all the earth will do right. He knows and he sees and he's good. And there's comfort there for us. We don't have to right every wrong or see that it's done. We just know that there is a God uh, who is the all-powerful and all-knowing judge of all the earth. Comfort six. Uh, what about those we don't know about? What about the loved ones we've perhaps lost and we think, we don't know where they stood with God. It wasn't clear to us. Uh, they didn't make any obvious kind of profession of faith and we, we worry and wonder um, what will be the case for them. Again, it's a comfort to know that that decision doesn't rest with us. Uh, sometimes at a funeral, if we don't know things, I'll sometimes say something like, we entrust somebody to the Lord's care, because we do. Uh, it, again, in Genesis 18, that Sodom and Gomorrah account where Abraham's pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, 
he says this line, which I think is comforting in lots of circumstances, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And we can rest content in that. He is the one who has perfect knowledge and perfect goodness. He will do right. We, we might not know, and it might cause a degree of anxiety, but we do know the one who is the judge of all the earth, who will do right. We know that much and we can rest in that. And the final comfort um, is uh, perhaps just in the whole area of um, mental health struggles, um, personality disorders, things like dementia, where um, knowledge seems to become sort of changed, doesn't it? We, we feel like we lose people. We feel like they perhaps become a mystery to themselves and to us. Maybe we feel like a mystery to ourselves. But again, I think it's comforting to remember um, that God has perfect knowledge of us. God has perfect knowledge of our loved ones, even when it, it may feel like and look like they're losing themselves. Maybe it feels like they're losing their minds. God knows and sees them perfectly. And of course, he is the one who will never lose perfect knowledge of us. We might lose loved ones, but God never loses us. He, he never forgets us. In fact, the only thing God does say he forgets is our sin. And that doesn't mean that uh, he, he's like, oh yeah, that thing, I completely forgot. It means he makes a choice. Here's a lesson on forgiveness, by the way. He makes a choice not to bring it up with us again. Because that's kind of what forgiveness is. He, he forgets our sin because if we come to Jesus, we come to what he did for us when he died for us on the cross, uh, it's covered, it's dealt with. Uh, and God is saying, um, I can see, I know it's been dealt with by my son and I know your faith and therefore I remember sin no more. We bring it up no more. It is dealt with and done whatever we go through in life. That is perhaps our biggest hope in our comfort. God's perfect knowledge of the work of the Son and our weak efforts at faith means that the only thing he really forgets is our sin.